Americans are trying to decide the best way to regulate who can have a gun, how they can have a gun, where they can find guns. Tennessee's next governor has huge power over deciding the course of gun laws in the state of Tennessee. This week on Grand Divisions, we speak with the gubernatorial candidates to find out their positions and where they want to see gun laws go. Uh, This is the week of June 18th. I'm Dave Boucher, investigative reporter with the Tennessean. And I'm Joel Ebert. I'm a political reporter here at the Tennessean. First up, though, we're going to hear from Emily West, one of our colleagues in Williamson County. She went down to Lebanon and went to the uh, three-star dinner where Democrats recently held their annual fundraiser. This uh, dinner was attended by, among others, uh, Phil Bredesen, who's running for the U.S. Senate seat, being vacated by Bob Corker, Carl Dean, who is running for governor, the former Nashville mayor, and House Minority Leader Craig Fitzhugh, who is also running for governor. Uh, We also saw U.S. Senator Doug Jones there. But first off the bat, we're going to hear from Emily. To set the scene, you're going to hear some audio of of clanking dishes. That's because Bredesen and and Emily were talking at the Blue Moon Barbecue ahead of the June 16th three-star dinner in Lebanon. Let's take a listen. So in your view, what is the most pressing issue facing Tennessee and what can Congress do about it? Um, I think there's a couple of specific issues that are facing us. Um, I mean, health care is a real issue in the state. Uh, it's different depending on where you are. Some places it's got to do with insurance is available, stuff, but the cost of it is a problem. In some of the more rural areas, it's just access. The hospitals are closing and uh, you know doctors won't locate there. Um, that's one I very much would like to work on because I've got some expertise in both the private and public sectors there. I think issues of just uh, uh, um, quality of jobs, unemployment's low in the state, but the jobs are not of the same quality they were 15 and 20 years ago. And, you know, um, know, it's one thing to have a temporary or a contract job if you're 22 years old and looking to fill in the summer. It's another if you're trying to support a family on it and get some stability. Uh, And again, those are areas where I think the federal government and its policies have a a lot to do with that stuff. And then last of all, I just think Tennesseans of all stripes, I mean, everyone I've talked to across the state, whether they be liberal or conservative or moderate or wherever, um, they're just tired of this Washington stuff of just people shouting at each other. I mean, they just tell me, look, it's time to, you know, make a few compromises, move things along, and, um, and that's what I did as governor, and it's something I hope I can help bring to Washington. So if elected, you would be one of 100 in the U.S. Senate, which is a completely different role from when you served as governor or the mayor of Nashville. So how do you think you can have a positive impact on Tennessee as a member of the U.S. Senate? You know, it's it's obviously different being one of 100 in a group like that than it is being, you know, CEO of a company or being mayor or mayor or governor. Um, but I think I've learned enough about, you know, business and about how to get things done to be able to work in that environment. I mean, uh, even if you're the CEO, like as governor, um, you still have to put coalitions together, be persuasive to people. Uh, it's always a little combination of carrot and stick to get things uh, to get things done. Um, and uh, it's a different discipline, but it's one I really believe that I can uh, that I can learn quickly and, and be effective at it. Um, and I think you know, especially having some people up there 
you know, who've got the experience of being CEOs. I mean, I think it, it brings something to the party that's different from what someone who's, you know, just simply come out of the field of law or something like that can, can bring. And um, I very much would like to do that as well. So, if elected, you would be replacing the chairman of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. On foreign policy, what did you think of the June 12th summit with North Korea, and do you support the president's efforts to engage with the North Korean regime? You know, I, I really do think politics ought to stop at the border on this this kind of stuff. And um, you know, we've had I've watched three three presidents, um, you know, um, two Democrats and a Republican, try to deal with North Korea unsuccessfully, and. Um, uh, and I'm certainly willing to give President Trump some elbow room, you know, some, some running room to try and try something different. Um, I think there's plenty of people who are suspicious enough of the motives and the truthfulness of North Korea that there'll be people watching the whole thing in the Senate, in the House, and, and in, the, in the government. But, um, you know, I, uh, you know that's, this one I applaud the President for just trying something, trying something different here. I, I hope he's successful. If he's not... He'll have done the one, you know, it won't be any worse than the last three presidents we've had and their ability to do something. What's your view of the situation on the border with separated families and what can and should Congress do about it? Well, Congress clearly needs to deal with the immigration issue in some fashion and it's gotten so politicized it's difficult. Um, the separated family stuff bothers me tremendously. And especially given this recent stuff where it's been talking about it's happening almost as a, as a bargaining chip or something like that. I, I, think, I think that's unconscionable. I don't think we should be doing that. Um, I have a particular interest in seeing the dreamers are taken care of. I mean, these are people who, you know, um, were brought here as children. This is their country. They speak English. They have no more connection to Mexico or Guatemala or someplace than I do. Um, and leaving them in limbo... Uh, it just strikes me as a, as, a, as a morally bankrupt thing to do. I think we need to deal with it. When you get into others, I think you just simply have to recognize that we didn't get into this problem overnight. This is something we, we, you know, we turned our heads the other way for 30 years on this issue, and it's going to take some time to get out of it. I think there's lots of possible compromises there, um, and um, especially for people who have been here and have been good citizens for a long time. I hope there's a way in which they can you know, go through the process of achieving citizenship in the same way that, a, you know, that, a, that an ordinary immigrant would do. So speaking of compromise, would you support a compromise immigration bill, one with money for the wall and a permanent fix in legal status for DREAMers? Well, I usually don't prefer not to talk about hypothetical questions like that because I don't know what would be in a bill like that in, it, in its totality. Um, if, the, if the price, I don't believe the wall is the right answer. I think there's I think we're clearly entitled to control our borders. I think there are technologically much sounder and less expensive ways of doing it than building up than building a wall. I think that's more political theater. Um, but if you know the, the price of solving this problem was building some piece of that wall or something, I can certainly imagine myself being for it. So the Republicans are trying to tie you to the National Democrats in this race. The president has said you would vote in line with the Democratic Party and Minority Leader Chuck Schumer and against the Republican agenda. Would you be willing to vote against the Democratic Party leaders? Oh, you know, I mean, all somebody has to do is take three minutes to find out what I did as governor to find out I have no difficulty going against the 
you know, party leaders. I mean, Democratic Party, for me, it's an organization I belong to. It's not, uh, um, it's not a religion. I don't think that I will, you know, end up in hell if, uh, if uh, you know, I vote against Chuck Schumer on, uh, on something. And, um, you know, you know I, I just think that, um, that what you have to do is remember who you're working for. I mean, I'm, if I go up there, I'm not working for the Democratic Party. I'm not working for a Democratic president. I'm not working against a Republican president. I'm working for the... Um, the people who elected me and are, you know, are paying me to go up there, and that's the people of Tennessee, and that's that's what I will do. You have said that if elected, you expect to be in the minority party, given all of the other states' Democrats have to win and regain control of the Senate. Right. But is that your preference to be in the minority party? No, I mean my preference is not to be in the minority party. It's obviously better to be in the majority. It's just when people, you know, talk about that as, you know, as a reason to vote against me or something that it might help. I just sort of say, at some point it will flip. I mean, it's been going back and forth for 240 years, different different parties. It's not going to stay Republican or Democratic forever. Um, but I just do not see it happening this time. It's um, there's just too many, you know, tumblers that have to fall in place just right to make it to make it happen. Um, you know, Democrats in states that Trump won overwhelmingly who are trying to hold on to their seats, and uh, um, it's just hard for me to believe that all of those things would click that way. You know, I think the House has a much far better chance of flipping, um, uh, but that's not, that's not my concern. You know. What's the most surprising thing you've learned about Tennessee on the campaign trail, and how does that compare to 2006 when you last campaigned statewide? I think probably the most the most surprising thing I've learned is that um, you know people tend to want to think that everything in um, you know that everything is this highly polarized um, take no prisoners feeling that's kind of the way the media portrays it and, and so on and I found out people are not like that at all that um, their political views are much more nuanced than that. Um, when we've sat down at these brown bag lunches and talked about various issues like health care, I mean, it's hard to tell who's the Democrat and who's the Republican around the table when you're sitting there talking like that. And um, so that finding the way that everything is portrayed as being this, uh, you know, take no prisoners, we're in our own corner, but finding out it's just not true in Tennessee, I guess I'm not surprised in retrospect, but um, it's certainly been something I found on the campaign trail, and frankly, it's very encouraging. Thank you, Governor. Thank you. That was former Governor Phil Bredesen with our own Emily West uh, joining Senator Doug Jones there at the event. The party raised more than $450,000 from this fundraiser. They put out a statement on Monday saying that was the the hall. And that's obviously the intent of these events is to kind of raise that money and and fire up the base, right? Tennessee Republicans quickly tweeted out, though, a photo comparing their dinner with the Democrats' dinner. And just uh, just trying to show the differences between the two. That doesn't sound like a tactic that the president would like, right? Like he hated all those photos comparing attendance size. I don't know. I don't know. So uh, obviously the, the Democrats are going to hope to follow, at least in Tennessee, to follow the lead of, of Doug Jones's victory that he had in Alabama. It's, it was, you know, once deemed uh, an impossible task, you know, a Republican stronghold in the South. And I think that they're going to, Tennessee Democrats are going to want to play to the localization of this race. They're not going to want to play a national role. As you hear in even in the interview that Emily did, uh, you know, uh, you hear Governor Bredesen talk about how he's not afraid to go up against his party as evidenced in the past uh, on several issues. So 
and look for Republicans at every moment to make this a national race, to tie him to the national yeah, party. To, to Schumer and, and the, call him a tool of, of the party. Absolutely. And we'll see what sort of trickle down effect that has on whichever gubernatorial candidate. That's uh, former Nashville Mayor Carl Dean and House Minority Leader Craig Fitzgerald, whichever one makes it out of that primary. Uh, another issue that may play a role in the primary, but will definitely play a role in the general election is where candidates stand on gun legislation. That's always a, a big topic at the, at the legislature. Lawmakers tend to look to either weaken, depending who you talk to, or loosen restrictions on who can have guns, when they can have guns. There's potential to to do away with the, the permit system of, of who can carry guns or not. Uh, our colleague, Jordan Bowie, met with and spoke with gubernatorial candidates to, to see where they're at on different uh, aspects of gun legislation, see uh, how much they want to push for and what they're comfortable with. And this is uh, in coordination with the story that he did that if you haven't checked out, you can find on our website. Hello, listeners. I'm USA Today Network Tennessee politics reporter Jordan Bowie. This week, we take a deep dive into a controversial issue, guns and safety. The Second Amendment of the United States Constitution. Just 27 words many view as essential to the American identity as the Declaration of Independence. The amendment reads, quote, A well-regulated militia, being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. These words have given citizens the right to bear arms for almost 228 years. But in the time since the amendment was ratified, some believe the, quote, arms the Second Amendment references have evolved beyond the Founders' wildest dreams. For example, since the National Firearms Act of 1934, machine guns, as they are commonly known, have been highly regulated in America, with only a few circumstances where they are legal now. But on October 1, 2017, 64-year-old Stephen Paddock shot and killed 58 people from his hotel room just off the Las Vegas Strip. He injured 851 more in what would become known as the deadliest mass shooting in United States history. He did this with a device known as a bump stock, a firearm accessory that modified his AR-15 semi-automatic rifles for fully automatic fire. In recent memory, it seems such examples of violence are without end. And with each of these incidents, police investigators often find signs of, quote, suspicious activity that preceded the suspect's violent acts. Thus the questions arise. How could they have been stopped? How could these weapons have been kept out of their hands? And how can we keep our children safe? For this week's segment, we asked Tennessee's gubernatorial candidates to weigh in on this complex and controversial issue. Four of the candidates responded to our request to be interviewed for this podcast. We hear first from the Democrats, starting with House Minority Leader Craig Fitzhugh. I think the major issue now is... Uh is with the safety of our schools. And I think we clearly have, um, have got a, a situation that, frankly, sooner or later, uh, if you look at the, at the odds, uh, will hit us directly. Um, it's, it's been close to, uh, well, as a matter of fact, my high school at home in Ripley plays football in, uh, every year, most every year, with the Kentucky school that was, uh, that Kentucky school that was, uh, they had a, a shooting there, and it, it really affected the, the kids and folks in my hometown because because uh, it, it, it struck close to home. So I think school safety is the is the key issue right now, and we have to do something about that. We have to make sure that our schools are safe. Next, we hear from former Nashville Mayor Carl Dean. Dean believes a consensus can be reached between parties on how to keep guns out of the hands of potential perpetrators, starting with stricter background checks. 
Well, I think, you know, one of the things we have to look at is whether um, background checks should be strengthened. Um, uh, th that would seem to me to um, allow people's Second Amendment rights to be protected, but at, at the same time protecting society from folks who um, are dangerous and shouldn't have firearms uh, from having them. Uh, so I, I think that that's where it, I think you have an area where you possibly can get agreement. I mean, one of the things you have to do is realize that anything that um, that is suggested has to, you know, pass through the legislature, has to pass through a political process, and you need to bring people together to find common ground. But while Democrats believe stricter gun regulations could help, the Republican candidates for the most part say they are looking, quote, behind the gun, and that news coverage has pushed some to the wrong conclusion. Here's Williamson County businessman Bill Lee explaining his perspective. I think that they put political pressure to do something. Um, but I think the wrong approach is to take away rights from law-abiding citizens because of the actions of those who do criminal acts. I do think we have to look behind the gun. I don't think the gun is the cause. I think that what's going on behind the gun. Behind the gun, the Republicans believe mental illness, among other root causes, is the issue. Here's House Speaker Beth Harwell. I do believe that we've become somewhat desensitized to uh, violence in our society. Uh, and I, it is an awareness process, and uh, I think people, of course, have the right to own and carry a gun. Uh, that's, that's not something I think. That's something I know. That's in our Constitution. So I don't know that you can blame it all on guns. I think there are other issues that are happening in society that have contributed to this significantly. Congressman Diane Black and former Economic and Community Development Commissioner Randy Boyd did not respond to requests to answer questions for our podcast. But Black also has her theories on the effects of popular culture on youth today. In audio obtained by the Huffington Post from a session with ministers at Safe Harbor of Clarksville, Black is heard saying she believes pornography and violence in media are to blame. The Boyd campaign also recently released a school security plan that said he would invest in state mental health resources and develop a, quote, range of patient-appropriate mental health options for Tennesseans, quote, especially young people. That's a wrap for our look at guns and safety. Hey, listeners, I'm Tennessee politics reporter Jordan Bowie, and this is Fact and Fact Check, a segment of the show where we offer both facts about Tennessee politics and check out questionable statements and figures tossed around in the political arena. For our fact last week, we looked at term limits. This week, we give you a fact on political parties' successful retention of the governor's mansion. While the Tennessee Republican Party recently held its annual Statesman's Dinner, a celebratory rally calling for the party to retain their supermajority in the state legislature and keep a Republican as governor, this will be quite the accomplishment if they manage to do so. Democrats held the office for nearly five decades in the 20th century, but no two successive governors have belonged to the same party since 1967. That's our fact for the episode. Now on to our fact check. In a recent ad for former Economic and Community Development Commissioner Randy Boyd, the candidate touted how he would treat the state budget like his family's budget and keep it balanced unlike Congress, the latter being a dig at Congressman Diane Black. House Speaker Beth Harwell has also stated proudly that she has managed to balance eight state budgets. But in fact, 
Having a balanced budget in Tennessee is mandated by the state constitution, so these candidates would only be following the law by doing so. That's our fact and fact check for this week. Check back on our next episode for another segment. The two candidates for governor who are Democrats here in Tennessee will have a chance to try to distinguish themselves a little bit from one another tonight at a debate. It's at 6 p.m. at Belmont University, live streamed at the Tennessean and every other USA Today Network Tennessee site here in Tennessee. Uh, you need tickets. If you want to go, you can still go. They're free. Free. Everybody loves free events, right? If you want to get a ticket, go to belmont.edu slash gov tickets. That's belmont.edu slash gov tickets. Joel, what do you sort of anticipate hearing from the candidates tonight? Yeah, I, I mean, obviously, it seems that there is going to be some, you would think, some differences that will be sussed out, whether that means attacks uh, from Fitzhugh, who is clearly looking to use this as an opportunity to gain momentum. He's down in name recognition. Uh, he's down in, in campaign money. So he needs to have something to propel him up. Uh, so it wouldn't shock me if he brings up uh, some some issues that the, the former mayor, Carl Dean, has had in the past. Um, we also could easily see some differences on on education. It, it wouldn't shock me if you see that. So it should be interesting either way to watch. Uh, the, the very next night, though, Wednesday the uh, 20th, we are also going to see a televised debate. This one on the other side, uh, uh, Republicans are going to get together. So that means you've got Diane Black, you've got Bill Lee, Randy Boyd, and Beth Harwell, all going to be on WKRN in a broadcast debate, broadcast by Nexstar, and it's going to be across the state. This is really a, a, a two of three series. Nexstar did a, a previous debate in Memphis. They're also going to have one in July in Knoxville. This debate between the gubernatorial candidates only again is going to be on legislative issues and crime. So hopefully we're going to begin to see this week and, and even the following weeks some major differences between the various candidates in the race for governor. One more event to look out for this week that has some some of this these national implications that we talked about earlier. 7.30 p.m. Friday at the Ryman, there's going to be a recording of a podcast called Pod Save America. It's a very, very popular podcast put on by several ex-members of the Obama administration, high-ranking officials who, who were in the Obama White House. It's kind of interesting. They're coming. Part of their tour is always to help raise money and to kind of stump for Democratic candidates across the country. I don't know if Phil Bredesen's campaign is excited for, again, high-ranking Obama staffers to come into Tennessee and campaign for him. It seems like this is something that Republicans could could attack him for or could hit him for. Absolutely, and, and that's what they're trying to do already. So I think anytime you have uh, former administration officials or even if Hillary Clinton, say, had people come out here uh, and try and stump for, for Governor Bredesen, you'd really probably see some initial resistance or at least hesitance uh, because, again, they're going to want to localize this race. They're really going to want to make this about the state of Tennessee and not the state of national politics going on around the from country. A, from a pure logistics stance, though, these these shows tend to be pretty popular and could bring in a lot of money potentially for for not only for Phil Bredesen, but for all Tennessee Democrats. So just logistically, I'm sure the Democratic Party is excited to have this happening. Which is why they're traveling around the country. And, and again, the, the national sides, both Republicans and Democrats, are trying to pour money into these key races. And we fully anticipate that happening in Tennessee. 
As always, we want to end with very important information about voting. The last day to register for the August 2nd primary is July 3rd. It's coming up very, very soon. Early voting starts July 13th. That's right around the corner. Again, uh, you can find information about how to register to vote at the website for the Secretary of State and at Tennessean.com. That's our show for this week. We really appreciate you listening. Uh, You can find us uh, at Tennessean.com and and anywhere else where you subscribe to podcasts. Subscribe to our podcast. Tell your friends about it. We'd appreciate it if you rated our podcast and gave us some feedback. We want more five-star ratings. We've got some good reviews, but keep them coming. Please, we appreciate it. Thanks so much. Thanks so much.